Recycling doesn't necessarily mean that it goes back into the same product. Fluff is a, an example where the, the use of that type of fluff is quite specific to hygiene products, so it makes sense that it goes back um, into a hygiene product. Superabsorbent also is mainly used in hygiene products, but I really am quite skeptical in the uh, you know, performance of a superabsorbent after recycling. So maybe it goes into uh, you know, lower specification absorbent product. Maybe not hygiene, maybe uh, you know, like flood management, things like this. So that would be definitely be downcycling. But again, it's probably because the performance is downgraded. Welcome back to our series on sustainability. If you've made it this far with us, heard us cover several different aspects of sustainability and disposable hygiene over the previous three episodes. We've discussed consumer expectations and product transparency, and shared different ideas around improving production practices and reducing the weight of your hygiene products, before sharing some insights on circularity and circular economy in disposable hygiene. If you haven't listened to at least the previous episode on sustainability, which would be part three, I would encourage you to do so as it leads directly into the last part of our conversation on circularity today. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene, a podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the disposable hygiene industry. I'm Jack Hughes, Global Digital Marketing Manager for Bostick's Disposable Hygiene Business Unit. On today's episode, we'll wrap up our discussion with Christoph Morel on circularity by covering end-of-life solutions for the hygiene industry and which direction or directions we should move in to help meet our sustainability goals and the goals of the end users of the hygiene products. We certainly don't claim to have all the answers, but through our own research, as well as talking and working with other suppliers and producers of hygiene articles, we feel we have some good insights on a direction that our industry can move in that will help our planet and the industry overall. With that, we'll continue with the rest of our interview with Christoph Morel. So going back to those three points around the circularity, we, we covered resource management there. Our last episode with Luke and Safe was pretty dedicated to manufacturing processes. So I don't think we need to dive too far into that. And you, you touched on that at the beginning of this episode, some of the things that producers are doing and other players in the industry are doing to improve their manufacturing processes. So then the last thing, and Probably the most important part is the end and the most visible to consumers, the end users would be the the end of life. So obviously this is, as I said, the very, a very important one. So what are industry players doing to improve the end of life of hygiene products? You're right in saying that it's going to be the most visible to the end consumer because at some point or another, they'll have to kind of participate in, in making that end of life more sustainable. You know, at the moment, they just put the um, diapers in the bin and those go into uh, just a municipal waste. But consumers already start to, you know, having bins for paper, for plastics, for glass, etc. So at some point, there will be something to be done for a disposable hygiene article. And, you know, it, it can go from Nothing really difficult, you know, or maybe just isolate the diapers and waiting for someone to pick pick them up. 
or you send them back by mail, or um, you know, going to a specific bin, or at some point you could you could think of maybe a specific design where the consumer already has to you know tear apart something. You know, maybe you know you want a diaper, you know, tear apart the uh, elastic ears, tear apart or or, or separate the uh, the core, the absorbent core from the from the uh, back sheet material. So, you know, it goes from very simple to a bit more complicated for the consumer. And that's interesting because, you know, all, all of what I've, I've been saying, this, this is kind of happening in already as pilot situations. So, you know, there are experiments uh, in, in Europe or in, even also in the US on the concept of uh, sending back your know, used diapers into a, in a box. Or there are experiments that are conducted by PNG, uh, where you know there are smart bins uh, somewhere you know in the city, and you can bring your bag of used diapers. You can register, and so that's happening. And there are also experiments where you know the diapers are collected from a daycare center, for example, to be either uh, composted or, or recycled. So that will be the first part. How do you manage the collection and how do you educate the consumer? And so I think diaper producers are trying to do this at the moment and trying to understand what could work from a consumer perspective, how they could, you know, as a reputable brand, how they could influence the consumer and, and educate the consumer. But in the, in the end, it's going to have to be municipalities or, or maybe they will have to have regulations to uh, kind of force the system into changing because you know at the moment it's really experimenting you know what could be the business model what could be the technical model to do it and and the, and the companies are doing this uh, pretty much on, on their on their own you know we were um, at a conference where the um, Flemish waste uh, agency so the Flanders region of Belgium so their waste agency is really working on creating the legal framework to actually make diaper recycling the only option for the end of life of uh, of baby diapers so so that the, i mean they're kind of putting the legal framework before the technical uh, options are, are there but it would you know, they would have to define how you can incentivize consumers to do it or or maybe punish them for not doing it and and how you put the, the, the collection system in place. So I think it's going to have to go both ways, you know, how do you define the technical aspects and how you implement it and how you get the um, governments, local governments, municipalities to um, to help in this. So in your opinion, just to, to pivot from that briefly, that that's something, again, that, that Nick Carter talked about in the episode, of, particularly in the United States, uh, some states, some municipalities banning single-use hygiene products or, or putting limitations on them before there's really a solution you know, or, an, or an alternative in place to, to really do that. And, and you mentioned, you know, in some places we have producers creating the technical avenues to be able to do that. In other places, we have municipalities or cities or regions really pushing for it. In my opinion, it's probably better to have the technical solution first, but there also has to be some sort of pressure on the producers to to push for that, to, to get to that point, 
Because if you have the laws in place first or the regulations in place first without a solution, then you're putting all, all the, cons- the people living there in a, in a tough situation or an impossible situation. But in some cases, maybe if you just left it to the, the producers, it might not happen on an expedited timeline. So I guess in your opinion, what's the, what's the balance there? Again, referring to the uh, packaging industry, I think they're all part of a of consortiums to uh, to try to find a solution. I mean, and and this is what needs to happen. And there was a recent initiative by Edana, the European Movements Association, to actually create that type of consortium around the the, the concept of creating a resource from the waste of used disposable diapers. And so again, there needs to be a technical way to do it. There needs to be a, a business model to do it, but then there is a need to be to have a, a legal incentive and, uh, and a legal framework to do it. Uh, and so everything needs to happen uh, to, to, together. So I guess before implementing laws, uh, without a technical model or before, you know, trying a technical model uh, for ages, then I th- just sit down together. <laughs> yeah, maybe a simple answer, but not a simple, no. uh, yeah. simple no. in concept, not so right. simple to execute. <laughs> right. Um, all right, so you, you mentioned some of the things going on for end-of-life solutions. You talked about recycling, you talked about uh, more of a maybe a modular approach where consumers are are kind of deconstructing the diapers. So then at that point, you know, Bostic is an adhesive supplier. So then what role does the adhesive play in supporting all those end of life possibilities? So to your question, Jack, I'll, I'll be even broader than, than you. I say, where can the adhesive contribute into that circular model for a disposable hygiene product? So if we look back at the sequence uh, of this circular model, so the first aspect is the resource part. So reduce the dependency on fossil resources. So from that point of view, the adhesive can t- contribute by also relying less on fossil resources. So we can develop adhesives that are based on renewable resources, bio-based materials. And so this is the um, object of the uh, Nupla Viva launch that we discussed about and uh, where we are offering to the market uh, adhesives that are bio-based or renewable. So that's the first part. The second part is the design aspect. So how can the adhesive contribute to designing a more sustainable finished article. So we said that a more sustainable finished article would be lower in weight. So we can reduce the amount of adhesive used in in an article. We can help the the producers use uh, lower basis weight substrates and therefore reduce the overall weight of the diaper. Our core adhesive can help the um, diaper manufacturer reduce the amount of fluff used in the core and therefore reduce the thickness of the article, reduce the weight of the article. So that's another aspect. Then in the design phase, if the objective of the manufacturer is to use more bio-based substrates, such as again PLA or or natural fibers or bio-PE, etc. So then the adhesive needs to 
enable this. So make sure that the adhesive bonds perfectly to these type of substrates, which are quite different sometimes chemically uh, from the good old uh, polypropylene and polyethylene. So we need to make sure that the adhesives can adapt to these uh, materials. So that's the third aspect. And, and, and the last aspect on the design phase is, again, if I go back to a design that not only meets the function of a diaper, which is avo avoid leakage, etc., but also is, is set up in order to facilitate the end of life or facilitate recycling, for example. So, you know, what about an adhesive that could help you design a product that is more easily recyclable? You know, an adhesive that would help you at some point, you know, instead of having a full article in the end, you know, an adhesive that could help you dismantle the article more easily so that you can get rid of uh, maybe compost a part of the article and then throw away another part or recycle one part. And so I think the adhesive is a great resource to enable new designs. And this is where I think we should be more involved and more discussing with uh, with customers on. Uh, and then again, the last part of it is how does the adhesive contribute to the end of life? And so I was making some suggestions on redesigning the product to 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 help the end of life. But at this point, you know, with what we have. If you look, if you look at composting as an end of life, so the first thing that the adhesive would need to do is also being compostable in order to have the whole article compostable, and this is uh, work that we are doing uh, in order to enable this. The second aspect is recycling. So if we're looking at the existing processes of recycling, where the um, plastics and the fluff and the SAP and the bodily fluids are somewhat separated uh, in order to be to be treated in different waste streams. So I think if the adhesive could help facilitate that separation, that would be a benefit. If the adhesive could help, you know, making the plastic fraction more valuable, that will also be a benefit. And these are interesting ideas that we're also looking at internally in order to share that later on with our customers. So that those are very interesting aspects where I think the adhesive can have a, a, a very positive contribution. And in your opinion, I think others, others, I know others in the industry share this opinion, but recyclability is is the most viable path forward for a, a beneficial end of life for hygiene products at this point in time, correct? I think that's that's my view indeed. I mean, again, if we think carbon, right, the best way to keep the carbon that is, you know, that we put in all these films and all these products that compose the, the diaper, if we look at keeping that carbon on Earth, then recycling is the is the only way. You know, even composting will lose a lot of that carbon as CO2 or even worse, methane in the atmosphere. So, you know, the, if you look at keeping the carbon in order to be reused in new organic materials, then yeah, recycling is good. So I don't know if it's the most viable from a technical standpoint, from a from a financial standpoint, but from a resource conservation standpoint, it is. Okay, okay. 
So I, I've always been skeptical of that, but I, I live in the U.S. Our recycling system is not as robust isn't the right term, but maybe efficient as uh, some places in Europe. And, you know, even our ability here in the U.S. to recycle common products, as you, you mentioned, paper and cardboard, but glass and metal and especially plastic, it's not great. It's efficient in some areas. It's not so efficient in other areas. And that makes me kind of skeptical of particularly in the U.S., our ability to recycle hygiene products, which is just a whole different beast, if you will. And so my, my thought was always around compostability. But I know you you shared this with me a little bit and you just you just alluded to it, that c- composting maybe isn't the best option out there. You mentioned the, the release of CO2 and methane. But yeah, um, and, and composting is not just, you know, just vanishing. Right. So, you know, I don't know if you live in a house or if you have a garden, but Composting is not going to be just throwing this away at, you know, at the back of your garden and, and let it compost like this. And for most of people living in an urban environment, that's even not possible. And, and so composting also means an industrial process uh, that requires facilities, that requires collection. So you know, recycling and composting will still start from sorting and collecting the waste. So no matter how you look at it, this is going to be the key first step. And so, again, I I don't know what to do with uh, how to work uh, with consumers. And as you said, if you know, if you are not even able to recycle PET bottles, which are, I would say, the most easily recyclable plastic, I think, so far. So how are you going to do uh, with diapers which have, or, or femme care products even more, you know, which have uh, you know, all the kind of uh, taboo around you know, what's in there and you, know, you don't want to be handling uh, these and you know, putting this in, into a plastic and you know, what about wait for a week for a collection to come and pick it up. So yeah, it's a long way from having a viable option out there, but you know, we have to start somewhere and, and at least making sure that you know, some of these options are technically viable and, and make sense from an environmental standpoint. Yeah. You know, and going right. back to recycling and collection, you know, if the collection involves so much energy or so much gas to uh, to drive th- uh, hundreds of miles to collect and bring the, the diapers to a recycling facility, then where is the benefit to the environment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's always my sticking point on on recycling. It's I, I think it's you know, and even even compost collection, which which is offered in my municipality, and and you know, garbage pickup. If my if my bins aren't full, I don't put them out because it's it's just extra miles, you know, and extra extra energy being used to to pick them up and dump a half empty bin into a, into a truck and drive away. So, but so that's a, that's a very, a very good point. So yeah, on top of the, the CO2 and methane emissions, as well as you mentioned, compostability faces the same challenges as recycling and educating consumers, having to pick it up and, and all of the work and energy and processes that go into actually composting not just natural materials, but AHPs as well. There are other downsides to that as well, correct? Yeah, I think one of the downsides is is the fact that used absorbent hygiene products contain bodily fluids. 
and so you know as much as all the recycling processes that we've looked at uh, that that are being tested they include a serialization step uh, in order to uh, kill all the pathogens that may be in, in the in the bodily fluids composting industrial composting only happens at uh, you know 60 degrees maximum and uh, what happens with the pathogens there is the quality of the compost enough to be used in any type of crop environment and i, I think that even in some countries it's not even legal to um, to use compost that was in contact with bodily fluids so that's one aspect the second aspect I think uh, we've uh, seen this in a, in a conference is the fact that most of what is being composted usually is uh, is food waste and tree trimmings or whatever uh, uh, lawn trimmings yard yard waste yeah yard waste yeah good thank you and so it's these compost pretty well I mean except for some parts of uh, of the wood um, the lignin everything but <laughs> th these these, you know, food waste and everything, they compost pretty well. And the concern might be that, you know, when you come up with synthetic materials that are designed to be compostable, but still, you know, do they compost as fast as uh, the food waste and uh, yard waste? Maybe not. And actually, it's been shown that they don't. And so, yeah. you, know, you, you may kind of hurt the, the, the balance in having some materials that compost very quickly, some don't. And so in the end, you may end up with uh, problems in the composting facility, so. Yeah, yeah, so, and then they... I mean, it, it just means that, you know, there is no easy solution, that's for sure. There is no easy solution. Again, recycling is also a, a very complicated process. And then what do you do with the recycled materials? You know, if you are really able to separate everything cleanly so that you have good fluff and good SAP on one side. And is the SAP after being recycled like this is still, is it still performing to a, a standard that is valid for hygiene products? Can you actually put fluff back into hygiene products? It's an interesting question. And uh, apparently Unicharm um, in Japan has, has the right uh, process to put fluff back into uh, diapers they announced that they would so that's 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 great that's really a good a good way of recycling yeah but then your plastic fraction as, as i said is composed of all sorts of plastic materials and it's uh it's relatively low quality yeah and i see i was at a conference where the, the people from um, the nova institute uh, are we're talking about that carbon um, idea. So where are we going to get our carbon from in the future? So currently we're getting, you know, most of it from fossil resources. But in the future, if you want to be true to uh, reducing carbon emissions or, or solving the um, climate change issues, we'll have to reduce to a minimum to even zero our dependency on fossil resources. So we'll have to get our carbon from either plants or uh, CO2, you know, uh, there is chemistry to uh, transform CO2 back into uh, monomers that can then help us do the petrochemistry that we're used to. And then, so plant-based CO2 and recycled materials, recycled plastics. So the dependency on recycled plastics and recycled carbon 
will be huge in the future. And, and so there will be a, a, a huge expectation on the quality of recycled plastics in the future. So, yeah, and I, I want to come back to that, but you mentioned there, there's still a lot of uh, progress to be, to be made in the aspect of, or in the area of recycling, consumer education, the, the processes in general, getting municipalities on board, what materials are coming out of that, which I'll, I'll ask about in a minute. But right now, obviously, you mentioned a few examples in the market of recycling going on. We do see some examples in the market. You mentioned P&G. You also mentioned Unicharm. So we know that there are some options out there, but they're not widely available and it's still in early development phases. So how far away do you think we are from seeing widely available recyclable products on the market? I think the critical aspect would be that we don't need to see recyclable products. We need to see a process that can recycle any product. That's the that's the main issue. You know, at least let's say you you cannot just you know have a brand that just makes a, a specific product that they only can recycle. So I, I think it's uh, it's pretty it's still pretty far off. I think that you know there will be a good. Business model, technical model to uh, to actually recycle diapers. Okay. I I don't know how to you know. <laughs> you're not you're not going to put a number to it. <laughs> I not yeah. Other than you know the alternate answer to that is I have no clue. But <laughs> so so then you mentioned the the actual materials involved and and you know being able to have high quality plastics coming out of those recycling processes. So do you think the target is to have AHPs be recycled into AHPs, or do you think it's it's better or more likely that we'll, we're having them recycled into other things or, or downcycled or things like that? I mean, recycling doesn't necessarily mean that it goes back into uh, the same product. Fluff is a, an example where, you know, the, the use of that type of fluff is quite specific to hygiene products, so it makes sense that it goes back uh, into a hygiene product. Superabsorbent also is mainly used in hygiene products, but I really am quite skeptical in the uh, you know, performance of a superabsorbent after recycling, so it maybe goes into, uh, you know, lower not not quality, but lower um, specification absorbing product. Maybe not hygiene. Maybe uh, you know, like fl flood management products, and th things like this. So that would be definitely be downcycling. But again, it's probably because the the performance is downgraded. And as for plastics, I think there are again there is a demand for recycled plastics. So there is. If the plastic is good quality, then there is no shortage of, uh, of potential applications. Now, I mean, the, the, the kind of great solution to all of these in terms of recycling, for, uh, I mean, for both, uh, mainly for plastic, I would say, is chemical recycling, where the plastics are actually paralyzed at very high temperature and transformed back into either syngas or oil, and both can be fed back into the uh, petrochemistry uh, stream. And you create brand new uh, chemicals out of it so that whether the quality of the originating material was good or bad, 
it's kind of burned back into the monomers, so it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty energy intensive. You know, the capacity to do this is even lower than mechanical recycling. So again, it's a long shot, but it's it's a um, potential yeah. option. Yeah. So, so then, as I mentioned, I'm you know, and you mentioned as well. We're we're both a little skeptical, and we think that there there's a lot of work that needs to be done to educate consumers, even to get to the point of having you know, regardless of if there's a recyclable product out there, but actually getting them to recycle it properly and then having the third party players in place, whether it be recycling companies, whether it be municipalities to collect and get those back to whoever's processing them. But I guess in my opinion, the role of the producer doesn't stop at producing the product. So in your opinion, what role do producers play in this recycling process as a solution? Well, as, as I said, I mean, they're, they're developing the technical option, but they're also trying to understand the business model and they're trying to evaluate different uh, collection systems and see how they can influence, you know, using the power of the brand, how they can influence the consumers. That's, again, experimenting. But in the end, you know, some, someone will have to select and, and, and implement. And I don't think they can do it on their own. There has to be some sort of coalition, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And we've talked about this before, but one one entity isn't going to solve this this issue. Oh. It needs to be collaboration across producers, suppliers, municipalities, and consumers have a role to play as well. Mm. All right. Well, with that, that we, we covered a whole lot there. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and, and speaking with us and, and sharing what's going on in the industry and, and also sharing your opinions on some of the solutions being offered or solutions that are being developed. So thank you again, Christoph, for joining us. Uh, it's great having you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you haven't done so, I highly encourage all of you to sign up for our Attached to Hygiene newsletter. Every two weeks, we'll notify you of the release of our latest episode. And starting this week, we'll begin sharing some of our new content around sustainability, starting with our brand new updated sustainability glossary, which shares all sorts of terms relevant to sustainability and disposable hygiene, and will help you discuss this topic and know what you're talking about. In the coming weeks, we'll also be sharing our two new sustainability white papers. We'll continue sharing exclusive content in the newsletter throughout the rest of the year. All of this content will be shared with our podcast listeners and subscribers before it is shared on our website or in our other email campaigns. So if you want to stay up to date on everything we know about industry topics like sustainability, absorbent core, feminine hygiene, and others, check out the link in the show notes to sign up for the Attached to Hygiene newsletter. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Bostic and is hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me with the help of Paul Andrews, Michelle Tonkovitz, Emery Chernis, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. We'd like to extend a special thank you to our guest today, Christoph Morell. You can find Christoph on LinkedIn. We can feel free to address any emails to him directly at hygiene at Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.